Hello, and welcome to ANO's Private Capital Perspectives podcast, where we explore the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing private capital firms across the world. And we share insights from our work with the world's leading fund investors. I'm Jamie Taylor, and I'll be your host for today's conversation. I'm a banking and structured finance lawyer based in Hong Kong. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Patrick Wong, partner in our market-leading fund finance practice. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks, Jamie. The topic today, Patrick, we brought you in, we want to talk about NAV financing or net asset value financing. So as I understand it, this is a type of fund finance that's gaining popularity among many of our private equity clients. And so I guess we're, we're keen to know a little bit more about that. Sure. Thanks, Jamie. Um, look, I would say NAV financing is a, people say it's a, it means different things to different people. But if I have to really describe it in a generic manner of what it is to start with, I would say NAV financing is some type of borrowing by investment funds that is backed by the underlying portfolio assets of a fund. So rather than the, the capital commitments or, or, of, of the fund's investor, um, which in the case of sort of more traditional sublines or, or cap core lines, what we're looking at is actually the underlying assets of the fund. So net financing is, is based on the value of the fund's investments and the resulting cash flows. So rather than on the value of the fund's capital contributions. And often the, the basis of the financing is a portfolio of assets rather than a single asset, but you can still have NAV for a single asset, I guess. And it tends to be provided at an intermediate whole co level, right? Which is usually beneath the fund entity, but above the actual asset holding entities in the fund uh, in the fund's capital stack. So this is because there is usually financing already put in place at the asset level, whether it's in the form of LBO or project financing. So so NAV financiers therefore typically asked to lend against the residual equity value of a fund's portfolio of assets. Although some NAVs may also be structured with sort of direct security and recourse to the underlying asset portfolio too. That's really cool. Like certainly aware that a lot of people are talking about NAV at the moment, right? Basically every banker, every mm -hmm. CFO that I speak to at least, it's a it's a very topical point. Like what is it that people like about it? What what is it that's kind of creating the buzz? Yeah, well, there are several factors that have contributed to the growth and popularity of this product in recent years. I mean, looking like from a funds perspective to start with, right, this this product really makes a lot of sense. NAV financing really helps a fund's liquidity and investment life cycle. Um, especially for funds that are nearing the end of their investment period or exhausted their capital core rights. You know, when in times when asset sales in the market are difficult, which is probably what we are experiencing at the moment in APAC, and, and also most parts of the world too, um, in, in light of the high borrowing costs, which we are facing now, um, the lack of exit options, um, and also geopolitical tension. Net financings allow the fund to actually hold on to its assets longer, if necessary, and, and exit it in an appropriate time rather than selling under pressure or, or to offer it on a discount. So essentially, it allows the fund to return capital to its investor faster, more efficiently, and sometimes even more tax efficiently. It can also give sort of liquidity and flexibility for a fund to make follow-on investments and then help um, in some refinancing scenarios, restructurings, or bolt-on acquisitions. So it can be quite flexible. And, and all this can be done without the need to seek investor approval or consent. Hey, that's a whole bunch of reasons why you know people are talking about this type of product. I guess the question I have really is, why aren't we 
seeing more people pull the trigger and execute on this type of product. Yeah, there's a catch to everything, isn't there? Well, there are some challenges in putting together a NAV financing. And I'm talking from a NAV provider's perspective now. The complexity and the cost of structuring and negotiating a NAV financing involves a lot and a much deeper level of due diligence than your average transaction. There are a lot of issues from a valuation perspective. You know, structuring and legal documentation could be more complicated than, say, you know, like a, a normal subline. So the diversity and complexity of the legal and regulatory framework across the APAC region also doesn't make things easy, right? You know, you have all sorts of enforceability, perfection, security, priority issues with the portfolio assets. It, it could be quite complicated. And we've not mentioned, you know, also the tax and withholding implications too. So all these factors make execution more challenging than usual, I'd say. Now, Every lender I've spoken to identified valuation, as I mentioned before, as probably the most challenging aspect that parties have to come to grips with on that. And, and the private nature of the investment means that there is no certainty that the reliability of the, the valuation and the audit information of the asset portfolio. So things can really vary depending on um, the type, stage, and location of the assets. And for this reason, I think the frequency the method and, and the independence of the valuation and all the processes can often be a, a heavy point of negotiation between sort of lenders and borrowers. To put it in more simple terms, right, if we are to look at it in a, a macro view of what a net financing is as a product, a lender is essentially being asked to bank against the residual equity value in the fund's portfolio assets. Uh, in most cases, there is already leverage at the asset level. So NAF providers are, are really asked to provide further leverage, right, at a whole core level above the asset holding companies. This means that the credit providers would, in most cases, right, be structurally subordinated to asset level creditors to start with. And then those assets very likely would have been taken, right, at that asset level as security. Now, of course, this is not to say that NAF financing cannot be secured at asset level, and we've seen quite a few of these um, structured. Is that more um, like private credit type assets? Yes. What, what type of assets do you see there? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Jamie. Like credit funds, usually when they do a NAV line, it's more likely that the portfolio of loans right, and credit would be available for the NAV financier because you, it, it's kind of hard to um, take out sort of back leverage, as you know, as a securitization um, and structured finance experts. It's less common to see an entire portfolio of credit being put on leverage. So it is more common to see credit assets being made available for a credit fund in terms of collateral and security for a NAF provider. What I'm kind of hearing from you is these deals can be pretty complicated and there's no one size fits all solution, right? They're all kind of very bespoke. And I guess there's other factors that come into play, including the constitution or the rules of the fund and what it is and is not permitted to do. That's right, Jamie. I would say NAF financing is a rather sophisticated and nuanced financing tool that can offer significant benefits, but also means risks and challenges. And so you need to have a thorough understanding of the fund's objectives, the portfolio and investors, as well as the lender's own requirements and expectations and appetite. Now, for those who are more familiar with sort of corporate structures, right, you look at a, a company, a corporate structure, the thinking process for a NAF provider looking to structure a NAF financing would be very similar to a lender looking to provide whole core level financing to a corporate, uh, which may have multiple investments. Now, the challenge is how to bank against that residual equity value in that corporate structure 
where senior creditors already rank ahead of you for most, if not all, of those investments. There is usually no direct recourse to underlying assets, but I mentioned before that's not always the case. And NAV providers usually are asked to get comfortable with a security package, which comprises merely just with interest in the holding vehicles and any income that may be upstream from having received and having service to senior creditors. So we kind of touched on very briefly before that this might be the type of product that's suitable for private credit funds. What else are we saying in terms of underlying in the region? Yeah, I mean, some of our lender clients would tell us that it's probably easier to bank sort of infrastructure, real estate investments, and also, as we mentioned before, right, credit funds. For the simple, obvious reason that those portfolio assets for these funds, they tend to generate a more stable stream of regular cash flow to help the valuation aspect of the financing. But this is not to say that that financing can't be done right for a private equity fund. And this is where, you know, a lot of CEO, CFO really wanted private equity funds where the exits are, are less sort of um, easy to achieve. Uh, we've seen one of our bank clients provide an F line to a, a PE fund, which has a portfolio of 18 assets. And that particular lender was able to overcome all those challenges we just mentioned before, because it knows that portfolio asset really well and have previously provided asset level financing. And they were, I think they were the LBO bank. Uh, for at least six of the 18 assets in that portfolio, and therefore was able to get comfortable with the valuation and the creditworthiness of these assets right from the get-go. It takes a more thorough understanding of the assets, which typically means deeper and more extended due diligence and, you know, of course, higher legal fees. So generally speaking, I would say net financing is probably more prevalent for fund borrowers that have these things, okay? I, a mature and diversified portfolio of assets, predictable cash flow, you know, stable, strong growth potential, you know, more attractive exit opportunities, a good fund manager, reputable fund manager with experience and track record, both in terms of its performance, but also its transparency in reporting and providing valuation to investors and lenders. Um, a good, flexible, supportive fund structure and documentation. Now, this is an interesting point because sometimes, you know, in most cases, we see that fund documents do not really restrict sort of NAF financing. But there are some investors who might impose leverage restrictions in the fund's LPA, which then limit your ability to structure a NAF financing, even at the immediate whole core level. So that's something we need to clear as well. Uh, but if without that, it could be much more smooth. For funds with a clear and compelling rationale and strategy and a reason for getting the net financing, that would be also a big plus. So with all these factors just mentioned, net financing is probably more easier to achieve. Yeah, okay. So like just picking up on one of those points you made, the one around the flexible and supportive fund structure and documentation, are you seeing funds, I guess, actively revisiting their documentation to facilitate this type of financing? Or is that something that people are talking about? I think people are paying more attention to this as the product gains more momentum. Um, investors are, are certainly taking a close look at LPAs. But then, you know, having said that, I, I think there is sort of no standard template yet. There's no sort of standard position on this. But looking at the transactions we have come to work on, most of the LPAs would not have that sort of restrictions. Yeah. Speaking of standard positions, as a lawyer, I'm always keen to kind of understand, well, what does what the documentation look like? What are the structures look like? Are we seeing any standard emerging among players in this space? I, I wouldn't say there is a standard template for a NAV financing because each deal is tailored to the specific needs and objectives of the fund, especially the, the, the use of proceeds, right? Could really vary 
depending on whether it's sort of, uh, you know, to help investor exit or is it a bolt-on investment acquisition needs um, or even, you know, other working capital requirements. But what I can mention is some of the more common features, I guess, if that helps, that we tend to see. For example, like the loan size is usually only a percentage of the funds that as a value. It ranges from maybe, I would say, 10 to 50% at most. So they, they tend to be rather low sort of LTVs. And it also depends on the portfolio characteristics and the lender's risk appetite. Yeah, but in APAC, I would say this tend to hover at the lower end of the range I mentioned uh, across all the deals that we've seen so far. Low maturity can be very divergent. Uh, it can be anywhere from one to five years or even longer, depending on the fund's investment period and extension options. Um, loan pricing is usually much higher than a subscription line facility. That's to be expected. No surprises there. Or your traditional asset level financing, because you have some real sort of recourse right to the underlying assets. Here, we are seeing deals being priced at maybe benchmark rates plus a margin, which adds up to an all-in pricing of a well in the teens, may well be in the teens. If the purpose of the financing is to provide short-term liquidity, um, you know, like to bridge a one-off anticipated distribution, for example, it could be much lower. So it really depends on the loan size, maturity, and risk profile when we talk about pricing. Now, the type of facility, right, the, the loan repayment is usually bullet. Um, so, you know, just a bullet loan repayment at the end of the term rather than amortized. Uh, but, you know, some loans may have partial amortization or mandatory prepayment triggers based on events like asset sales, distributions, or decline in net asset value. We've seen NAV financings, which are provided for short-term working capital too. Um, and if they are, they would be provided as RCFs. Now, a word about, I guess, the security package, right? They, that can be very bespoke. Um, it vary from deal to deal. We've seen shares or asset security at intermediate local levels, assignments of distributions, income streams, and charge over bank accounts where those income streams are going into. Um, and of course, you know, fund borrowers without leverage at asset level lend this security over the underlying assets, you know, whatever that's available. But on the flip side, we've also seen some unsecured deals, right? For very strong sponsors with excellent track record. So it can really be uh, anything. But uh, in terms of security package, but, you know, if I have to, you know, label, you know, what is a true NAF financing, I would say there is no recourse to the investors or the fund manager, uh, whether it's by way of uh, rights to core capital or equity commitment letters, that sort of thing. If you have recourse upwards in the capital stack, we are talking about some kind of a hybrid financing. Um, I'll cap it off by sort of talking about the covenants as well. I think people, yep. you know, quite interested in that. Um, loan covenants are usually based on, obviously, the fund's net asset value rather than the fund's performance or cash flow metrics. The fund may have to maintain a minimum NAV, obviously, minimum LTV or coverage ratio, a minimum diversity ratio, uh, diversity across the, the different portfolios, and also to ensure that the loan is adequately collateralized and diversified. Having said all that, a lot of NAVs we have come across have tight restrictions and distributions and cash rips to ensure that that cash flow that we were talking about is adequately controlled. So the fund may also have to comply with certain reporting information and consent requirements to allow the lender to monitor the portfolio value and the fund's activities. That's all starting to sound very much like a typical asset-backed securitization type structure. And I guess it almost seems like the two products are starting to merge and meet in the middle, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just a labeling thing, right? Um, if you ask me, 
you know, a NAS and, and an asset-backed lending, they're almost the same thing to some people. Yeah. Okay. So look, there's a lot in that, right? And I guess what I'm taking away from this conversation is that these types of deals are all very, very bespoke and very circumstance dependent. And there's no one size fits all structure or format in terms of documentation, triggers, covenants, etc. That all sounds to me like it would be very difficult to bring one bank in, let alone a club or a, a syndicate of banks. Like, is that a fair comment? Are we seeing any syndicated or club deals in, you know, NAB yeah. style facilities? I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, NAB financing, the way I see it is less of a product, but more of a sort of a tailored financing solution to address the specific needs of a fund borrower. Yes, they tend to be, you know, more provided on a bilateral basis because different banks may have different requirements and different views on how they value and monitor the underlying portfolios. So it's quite hard for, you know, two different financial institutions to see eye to eye on how to value the fund's sort of asset portfolio. Even a bank or a lender and the borrower may have its differences in how they look at the value of the underlying portfolio, let alone yeah. amongst banks. Yeah, and no, I can imagine the negotiations are pretty intense. So Patrick, one other thing I kind of was wondering about, like what if any restrictions do lenders usually apply to this financing in terms of the way it might be applied? Are there specific purposes that they intend it to go toward? It's a good question. I think to build a strong credit case, right, even with NAF providers who have great you know, risk appetite, there must be some kind of compelling story on the purpose of the financing. If proceeds are used to purely facilitate distributions to investors, right, and you're basically letting them out, um, it would be difficult to approve as no NAF provider would want to be left with the residual risk on an asset portfolio when the investors no longer have skin in the game, so to speak. There's simply no recourse against the fund manager at that point. So when there is a misalignment of interest between the fund manager and NAF provider, the risks of providing a NAF line significantly increased. Credit approvers... They're not equipped to assess, you know, the equity investment value, right? The potential and risk relating to the underlying assets. They are there to assess the credit risk in relation to the debt. So that purpose is actually fundamental when it comes to assessing whether a net financing is possible. Yeah, I guess tied in with sort of the purpose is, you know, the negotiation process and the documentation requirements as well, right? The documents for net financing and the terms and conditions could be rather complex and bespoke for this reason. There's usually also some kind of borrowing base, which is linked with the detailed eligibility criteria for the portfolio of assets that you're banking against. LTV ratios, NAV covenants, most of the times, but not always, maybe a margin call mechanism, concentration limits, diversification requirements, cash reaps, sometimes even in the creditor agreements, and you know, very stringent reporting and information covenants. Overall, as a package, compared with the more standard corporate lending subscription or capital working capital lines, um, these financings are, are rather bespoke and um, takes time and effort to negotiate and monitor. Okay, look, on that note, let's wrap up there. Like That's been super informative and I hope helpful to the listeners. So thanks for joining us, Patrick, today and sharing your insights. And thanks very much to the listeners for tuning in. If anybody out there has any questions or feedback on either today's topic or with regard to any future topics that you'd like to hear more about from the ANO team, just feel free to reach out. Patrick, myself, any other connection you might have with ANO, and we'll make that happen. Mm-hmm.